0: You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen.
1: I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McLenathan. You know, Wade, after a couple weeks of covering the freshest action blockbusters to hit movie theaters this summer, I thought it might be time for us to do something a little bit headier, a little Mm. bit more intellectual, maybe something with cartoon characters playing basketball. Wow, I mean, yeah, and...
0: Perhaps we could get a famous basketball player to play basketball with these said cartoon characters.
1: Yeah, 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 I like it, I like it, Mm, so... uh, uh, now let's do something else. (laughs) Listeners,
0: today we will not be reviewing Space Jam 2. No, I'm sorry. Instead, we're going to be looking at a different type of movie. Yes, that's Edson Oda's...
1: Nine Days. Are we going to at least end the episode with a basketball-themed rap, Wade? Maybe a jock jam? Uh, Maybe we'll just do something else there as well. Listeners, that is not coming up, but a review of Nine Days is here on episode 298 of Seeing and Believing.
0: You are being considered for the amazing opportunity of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. Are you the boss? I would say a cog in the wheel.
1: (laughs) How long is this process? If you make it until the end?
0: Nine days. senses will become unbearably sharper and stronger. <laughs> it's your new beginning. You'll never remember me or anything else that happened in this place. Ah! But you still be
1: you. Every single day someone hurts someone else. Every single day someone takes someone else's life. Why are you focusing on that? Why are you not focusing on that?
0: You've been here a few days but you've lived every
1: second. Ah! Are you afraid? Of what? Nine days. Nine days.
0: Listeners, we are here. Episode 298. Kevin, I don't know how many people were disappointed when we told them we were going to review a film like Space Jam 2, and then how many people were disappointed when we chose not to review that film. I don't know. I will say this. I've seen the first 30 minutes of Space Jam 2, and I'm really glad I didn't have to watch the rest of it. Thank you.
1: I I was not brave enough to to even venture into that territory uh, on, on my HBO Max app, but I'm glad that you took one for the team there, Wade. And I'm guessing, you know what, like, uh, it's possible to to enjoy Space Jam and, you know, move on with your life without necessarily caring what critics have to say about it. I think that's kind of just, maybe it's better off for, for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, if you like it, go for it. I loved... I loved the original Space Jam when I was a kid. Used to watch it all the time. Thought it was so funny. Thought Michael Jordan was great. Charles Barkley, all of them. And of course, my friends, the Looney Tunes. So maybe there will be... close
1: personal friends. (laughs) (laughs) close
0: personal friends. Confidants, I like to to call them. And uh, maybe your children will enjoy this Space Jam too. And if they do, that seems like a really great thing. Listeners, we also want to take an opportunity... To point you over to our Patreon page. You can support the podcast. Just go to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon listeners. Thank you so much for all that you do to support us. We've got a couple of different donation levels with some perks. One of those, our favorite, is the What Can You Buy for
1: $5 level.
0: Kevin, what could someone buy? for five
1: bucks. Well, the march of technology proceeds apace. It it's it's never ceasing. We are born endlessly into the future and, you know, once upon a time, noise-canceling headphones were kind of the big technological advancement in inter- home entertainment technology, but now there's a new tech on the block. And it is light canceling headphones. So if you just, you want total sensory deprivation while you listen to your music, then this will make sure you don't hear or see anything outside of the, uh, the music that you're listening to. Wow. I mean, that could be really dangerous if you are
0: jogging or cycling or really just anything that could be
1: very, someone could sneak up behind you and wow, you're gone. There's nothing they can do. I, I'm, I'm sure for $5, they've got plenty of, of disclaimers and, you know, legalese, making sure that the manufacturers aren't liable for for any injuries incurred while you are completely blinded and uh, deafened to the outside world while using their product.
0: Hey, five bucks. It is what it is. Listeners, head on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Once again, We really do appreciate it. We're going to hop into our review for the episode. We're taking a look at Nine Days. It will be releasing in theaters here in America, July 30th. And when you hear the synopsis, the official synopsis, which I'm about to give, listeners, I think you'll understand why we chose this movie to discuss today. Will, played by Winston Duke, spends his days in a remote outpost watching... The live point of view on TVs of people going about their lives until one subject perishes, leaving a vacancy for a new life on Earth. Soon, several candidates, unborn souls, arrive at Will's to undergo tests determining their fitness, facing oblivion when they are deemed unsuitable. But Will soon faces his own existential challenge in the form of a free-spirited Emma, played by Zazie Beetz, a candidate who is not like the others, forcing him to turn within and reckon with his own tumultuous past. Fueled by unexpected power, he discovers a bold new path forward in his own life. Making his feature film debut after a series of highly acclaimed and award-winning short films and music videos, Japanese-Brazilian director Edson Oda delivers a heartfelt and meditative vision of human souls in limbo, aching to be born against unimaginable odds, yet hindered by forces beyond their will. Kevin, it's no secret that both of us are big fans of Hirokazu Koreeda's 1998 film Afterlife. Nine Days feels like a spiritual remake of sorts, Exploring many of the themes Corrieta also touches in his movie. In particular, death, memory, significance, and yes, the afterlife. In your opinion, does Nine Days deserve to be mentioned in the same conversation as a masterpiece, like Afterlife? Or does this experimental movie come up, to use subject matter from the
1: film itself, a bit soulless? <laughs> wow. Wow. That is quite the introduction, and I'm glad that we're starting out with uh a tip of the hat to Ada's work because i you know it's impossible to to watch nine days without thinking of afterlife if you've seen it. it the the similarities are are too close to ignore you've got kind of this this uh limbo or this otherworldly plane where uh people uh in Koreeda's film, go after they die, and in, in Oda's film, they uh, stay before they are born. And in both films, there's also this motif of um, precious moments being created uh, artificially by the uh, kind-hearted wardens of this of this limbo in between space. And I, I think one reason that Koreeda's version of of this kind of premise is so uh, endearing and indelible is that he makes this subject matter, not just about spiritual, the spiritual, but also um, about the artistic and aesthetic as well. The idea that uh, in order to pass on to whatever lies beyond life and death, uh, people need to re-experience a precious memory that they that they'll hold and carry with them as they as they go beyond and the way that that uh dovetails with the act of watching movies really just makes watching the the act of watching Corrada's film just so it's it's a very uh unique heartwarming experience and uh it deserves to uh be thought of as a masterpiece with 9 days I don't I don't I don't know that I would call it a masterpiece. I think it deserves to be mentioned in the in the same conversation because Oda does have um, a lot of this is a very warm film, I guess. Um, this is a film that where Oda is clearly very interested in, um, exploring bigger questions without getting bogged down in the uh, details that can, you know start to crop up around films of this nature i think of uh for instance uh pixar's soul which which came out towards the end of last year which was kind of uh, again about a similar premise about you know where do we go where we when we die uh how do you know where do souls come from uh you know what's the afterlife like and i liked soul quite a bit i think we both did but you know soul itself kind of felt like it it kind of got bogged down a little bit and sort of the mechanics of how everything worked, and there are all these rules governing everything. And what I appreciate about Nine Days is that Oda isn't really interested in explaining exactly how everything works and you know, doing sort of a a Christopher Nolan style exposition dump where everything is laid out before us and then we kind of, once we learn the rules, then we get to kind of be in the world that is governed by them. Nine Days is uh, much more elusive than that, and I really appreciate that quality about it even though i i don't think that oda quite manages the delicate balancing act that kore Ada pulls off so flawlessly in afterlife
0: yeah i know that, that that's a good point and i like this movie too i i will say the the premise to me feels a little more forced and i i'm glad that we don't get an explanation for for all of this, but the the idea of of a limited number of individuals or souls will be essentially passed on to this world, and the rest of these souls that have somehow been created but won't be used will just completely disappear. They'll be quote unquote annihilated in a way uh, that that feels a little contrived because. I know the movie wants to turn the screws, uh, wants me to feel bad for these souls that will never have an opportunity. So it, it does feel a little, a little forced. But I love that this movie gives us to, a chance to contemplate not just what makes life significant, but to really ask ourselves... What what are the qualities that make life successful? And I, I don't think the movie is necessarily saying, hey, here's what we believe. And I don't know if it's necessarily wanting us to come down on a side and say, oh, a person needs to be X, Y, Z in order to have a successful life. But it really is interested in just scrambling up our notions about success and about personality and in a world that is infatuated with the Enneagram and just personality tests in general. I found that to be incredibly fascinating that you're here and like the main character you are asking yourself, okay, well, well which person is actually, is actually going to be, like, more successful? Like, who would I choose in this situation? And maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it. Maybe, maybe that's what the film says. It, though I, I love the open nature of, of this story. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate this movie a lot. And it's a really, it's a great seeing and believing picture. So I am glad that, you know, we're talking about it instead of a basketball tonight.
1: Yeah, you know, I like what you said about this film being interested in what makes for a successful life. The basic premise, of course, is that Winston Duke's character, Will, is uh, essentially conducting interviews with these unborn souls. And he's going to select one of them to uh, achieve, attain life on Earth, to be born uh, and he's kind of almost conducting a personality test of each one of them to kind of determine which one of them is best suited to be on Earth. Which one of them has kind of the right balance of uh, toughness, of of creativity, of uh, big heartedness that will allow them to to flourish. And the intriguing, the probably the intriguing mystery of the film is why does will have the standards that he does why is uh he uh looking for such a specific combination of qualities in these souls whom he is interviewing and we find out uh that uh you know early fairly early on the picture that the reason that he is in the position he's in is because he himself spent some time alive on earth and then once his life on earth was over he became the the one who interviewed uh, prospective new lives, uh, enter, entering into into birth on on Earth, and that's that's interesting that the film really deals with that. I'm not sure that it really does something fully satisfying with that concept. This is a film that the the conclusion involves a a reading of. Walt Whitman's uh song of myself I I believe uh which is you know I celebrate myself and it's essentially kind of wrapping up the film on a note of um of self-actualization in in a weird way and I'm not really sure that that is the the kind of conclusion that I would have been expecting out of a film that up until that point had been kind of more uh Interested in critiquing the the idea of well you know that there's a specific kind of way to live life where you you kind of feel fully fulfilled there's it's a lot more nebulous than that I guess. And I think that nine days kind of it gestures in that direction, but maybe doesn't fully um, articulate that or, or come to a conclusion about it in a way that I've, I found personally satisfying, even though, like I said, it is. It is a very warm film, and I'm appreciative of Oda's willingness to just sort of hang out with with its questions without feeling the need to over-explain them. Hmm. Yeah.
0: No. And and it it, it you have someone like Koreeda. He's just I don't know. He's he's a master, and and it's difficult to compare his work. And I don't know if if we should, in many ways, to someone who is. This is their feature film debut, but because the subject matter is so close, you just you kind of have to talk about afterlife if you're going to talk about this film and, and and this movie. I it's funny I was I was reminded of uh, Bo Burnham's Inside Kevin while watching this film, especially the scenes where uh, projectors. Are projecting images onto walls, and you can see trim from the walls, and you can see the outline of the door, and the projector is, is shooting over this, and we get those POV shots. And so these characters are able to watch the these lives unfold and they see them from the perspective of their of their subjects. And as we we get these images of some of them are on TV and uh, they're they're static. We're watching them on on tube TVs instead of like plasma or flat screen TVs. And then you got the projector. There's this there's this sense that we're watching each of these lives, but there's something in front. There there are these contours in front we're watching with our perspectives in mind that even though we are seeing exactly what this person sees there's some sort of filter there and of course that plays out in the life of this this main character or in in his situation i guess because he's already done living his life but but will sees one of his favorite subjects die and he becomes obsessed with how that person died and what caused this accident and i think that's a really interesting way to say hey like just just because you can you know someone just because you can see exactly what they see doesn't mean you're not bringing a sense of yourself to the way that you view them, and 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 I think that's true. And and I think when the movie it leans in on some of those those visual ideas, those visual themes, it's really sort of at its best. Uh, it's it's not as strong when it's pushing hard for some of those emotional moments. And like I said, too, I I feel like. Some of those moments are contrived simply by the story. We know they're going to happen. Why? Because we know that there are souls who will never visit Earth. So some of it does feel a little contrived. Um, but when the movie is there and just kind of lets us watch these individuals and 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 see what's happening, and it leans into the visual nature of this movie, I think that's when it's at its best.
1: It I it is instructive to view this side-by-side side with Corieta's afterlife, not simply because of the surface-level similarities in the story, but also in their approach to, frankly, what is what is a little bit of sentimental subject matter. I mean, Corieta is a very sentimental filmmaker, and that's not meant to be um, uh, derogatory in any sense. He's an, a filmmaker who's very interested in human relationships and the emotions that drive them, and that naturally lends itself to sentimentality. And his films are just often very wonderful because of that. Um, and Afterlife is, uh, at least on surface level, it is a very sentimental film it, because it's it's essentially about sentimentality itself. These people, you know, moving on to the next life, they choose a sentimental moment from from their past to to carry with them into the afterlife. Um, that's got sentimentality baked into its premise, but the way that Koreeda handles it is so um, it, it's it's so delicate that it ends up it doesn't end up feeling cloying or like he's laying on a little bit too thick. And I think for the most part, Nine Days manages to avoid that as well. Although I think it does, I think by simple virtue of the fact that these are all kind of spirit beings that, you know, not don't really have any, any history to look back on. And for most of them don't have anything to look forward to except simple nothingness. There's maybe a a lack of, of stakes or a lack of connection there so that when we do kind of have these sentimental moments for the souls that, that aren't selected to, uh, be born on earth they kind of fade away and uh will offers them the chance to live a moment that they they find especially please pleasant or or compelling uh before they they fade away um that th- those moments are probably the strongest moments of the films just in terms of the the filmmaking language and the way that Edson Oda is really able to conjure up real magic in these moments. There's a, my favorite scene is where one of the souls gets to experience a bike ride through, through a city, uh, before, uh, they fade away. And the, the way that that's sort of reconstructed in this basement with various screen projections and, uh, you know, wind being generated by fans. is just, it's very magical. I think the Maybe the issue, though, is that once you've you've kind of moved past that that surface level um cinematic magic, I guess you you're you're kind of left feeling a little bit hollow because this soul has only been in existence for a few days. They are not going to exist beyond this moment. And because they've never actually been on earth, there's there's no real connection to the idea of biking through a a town. Other than that, it's it just is kind of nice, but there's no like emotional connection to it because it's not part of their actual history. And maybe that might be the, the issue with the film as a whole is that really Will is the only character who has a history, who has desires and uh, past wounds to speak of. So he ends up feeling like the only character in the film who really... Seems like flesh and blood, not to put too fine a point on it. He's he's the only character that seems to have any weight to him because all the other characters are essentially abstractions. They're very pleasant and uh, you know well acted abstractions, but in in the end, there's not really a whole lot in the writing to really give them weight beyond kind of what they are supposed to signify or represent.
0: Yeah, I I, I do think with with some of those characters their desire to participate in a moment that for us feels, um, I don't know, not, not that big of a deal. It, it is a reminder of how beautiful those moments are that we take for, for granted. I, I love the scenes with Tony Hale. I think he's really good. He's good here as this dramatic actor, but he's also pretty funny. And, he becomes almost uh, obsessed with firing up the grill and, and drinking a beer outside. And it's, 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 it's funny, right? But when you think about it, uh, how, how pleasant are those moments? And, and do we take them for granted? And you talked about the individual who is placed on this bicycle trainer and is able to pedal, and it's a, it's a simulation in a sense of of riding through streets and, and riding through the, the wind and uh, petals as they fall on, on top of this character's head. Uh, it, it, it is a reminder of of how life is is beautiful in in many senses. And I think those moments are are strong. I once again compare it to something like uh Kureta in his film and, and not just afterlife but just just in general how he is able to take these small moments and make them just i just life defining in a sense like they're just they're they're very inspirational they're very emotional i remember his uh his film uh our little sister and there's a scene where a character is riding a bike and going going through uh a park or a road, and petals are coming down, and it re- it really is uh, an amazing moment. And I felt a little bit of that here. I didn't feel didn't feel a lot. I, I do want to move to a talk of personality and success in life, and the character here will. Uh, he has lived a life. Uh, apparently, he was he was pretty weak and so he's he's looking for for strength for someone to really kind of push through and to be able to survive life and there's this conversation at the end where two of the finalists are are talking about the the finalist souls are talking about disgust and one talks about a, a heinous crime that he saw uh one of the characters that he was watching through the POV cameras, reading about or learning about. And he, you know, he mentions that that just really disgusts him. And the other character uh, is, uh, tells a funny joke about something just, you know, toilet humor, if you will. And it's this fascinating way of just kind of looking at these individuals and seeing, you know, which one's right. Well, one's pessimistic and one seems more optimistic, and I think that goes back to what I, what I had mentioned earlier, this film is, is really asking us, well, what do we think, what do we believe about the world? Uh, do we believe that, you know, pessimism is, is really the realism of the world? Do we believe that you need to be optimistic in order to make it in the world? Uh, what, what, what do we believe about how to make it through life and what life is made up of? And it really is kind of this fascinating thought experiment through there. And I like how the film doesn't necessarily come down one to the other. It, I mean, it maybe it does in just the overall story, but it's it's something really yeah, it, it's intriguing to think about. It's very thought-provoking.
1: Yeah, and that moment is even crystallized where they're having the these these two finalist souls are having a conversation about what discussed them and one of them you know tells tells that story of the the awful crime and uh he and the other soul kind of you know they 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 get into a little bit of a of a debate and um he's he says you know this this is what disgusts me and the other soul responds well why is that what you focus on and uh he responds to that with why isn't that what you focus on uh and that i i think that's that's an intriguing Uh, way to to set up kind of this this differing viewpoint on essentially the problem of evil in in the world and it's to oda's credit i think as, as a writer and director that he's uh he doesn't feel the need to make one or the other kind of the bad guy or the or the one who's incorrect they you you understand both of their viewpoints and that's that's the end of it it's the scene doesn't end with one of them kind of you know being being talked down uh one of them doesn't isn't made out to be uh just foolish in any capacity it's just simply uh an instance of just seeing the world's with completely with a completely different perspective and i appreciate that about the film and it also just kind of brings to the fore I think one of the things that the film is the most interested in, beyond just sort of what constitutes uh, a successful person or a well-adjusted person, and more about it becomes less about people and more about the world. You know, why is the world the way it is? Why do people hurt each other? At what point will is is frustrated and he's he's talking to another uh, another soul, not one who he's interviewing, but uh, one of his peers. And he talks about how frustrated he is that he tries to um, send these beautiful souls into the world that you know that are sensitive and, uh, you know, just see the world in very unique ways. And he says, "I send them fl- I send flowers into the world, and then pigs are sent into the world to eat those flowers. And the the anguish with which, Winston Duke delivers that line really brings home the the idea that there is there is so much beauty in the world and there are such wonderful people in the world and yet the world is also filled with such such cruelty and simple meanness. Um, and I found that to be something that was really intriguing to think about, especially as Christians kind of holding in tension the fact that there is a God who who loves us and who has created this beautiful world And yet, uh, wickedness and destruction exist within that creation as well. And how, how does one even make sense of that? And nine days doesn't really have an answer for that. It doesn't even really approach that question directly, but it does, uh, kind of, uh, sidle up to it askance, I guess. And it invites that kind of reflection on the part of the viewer, even if it doesn't Ask those questions out loud, as it were.
0: Yeah, and I think o- alongside of that is there is a kernel of hope here, too, because we do see characters who are suffering. We do see characters who are, who are being bullied, people who are on Earth, uh, characters who don't want to live anymore and yet the movie still makes us feel for the souls that never have a chance. And I think that's I think that's worth noting. It's it's not one of those films that says, well, you know, this this soul gets to go to earth, but it's going to be rough and you're better off just just not participating in that process. No, you 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 walk away saying, "Oh, I I wish all of those souls had a chance." And I think it's because the the movie under, rightly understands the difficulty and the sin in the world, but there is but there is that hope. There's something still kind of beautiful about it, and uh, that definitely reminded me of the hope that I have as a Christian. Uh, even though we face terrible obstacles, even though there is evil in the world, um, there are there are these these moments when I'm reminded of, wow, there. There is, a, there, there is a creator, a good creator. There's something just beautiful here that's that's uh, transcendent, and I can't put my finger on it, um, but it, it reminds me of, of life, just, just life. And um, yeah, I think this movie has a lot to say about those topics. Listeners, once again, this movie releases, Nine Days Releases, in probably seven days from when this podcast is released. I think I'm doing yeah, seven days. It's going to be released on July 30th here in the United States. If you have a chance to see the movie, make sure to let us know your thoughts. You can tweet us at CBelief Pod at CBelief P O D. You can also email us seeing and believing at Gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the end of the show. This is the part of our episode. Will we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners? What would you like to recommend today?
1: Well, we already uh, burned the the, the obvious uh, on-theme recommendation for this week's episode. We're with, with talking about Afterlife so much. And in any case, I think that was my recommendation from a few weeks back. So, you know, take that as a given that that is recommended from both of us listeners. Uh, but I was uh, trying to think of, another film that kind of dealt with with questions of existence and uh, spirituality in its own way and the film i came up with is one that is very very different from uh, the work of Edson Oda and Hirokazu Kora Eda, but it still is interested in the big questions Maybe from a different angle, so to speak, or to say the least, and uh, that recommendation is uh, Bela Tarr's 2012 film *The Turin Horse*. This is a Hungarian film. It's uh, it begins with the the well-known story of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche uh, witnessing a man just savagely beating his horse in the street one day. And that precipitating this this huge mental breakdown from which Nietzsche never recovered, um, and of course, when a film opens with that anecdote, you definitely know that you're in for uh, a slightly darker experience. So I'll just say that right out the bat. But uh, while the Turin Horse is not an easy film to watch, it's definitely not you know a, th- a thrill ride to say the least. It's Uh, composed of only 30 shots. And this is a film that's well over two hours. So each shot is, you know, minutes upon minutes long and it just takes everything in. Tar fixes his camera on a specific person's face, for instance, as they eat a potato. Or he sets his camera and then pans it slowly, 360 degrees to take in the confines of this small hut where a farmer and his daughter uh, live together. And over the course of the film, you begin to sense that uh, it's not just about the physical surroundings, but it's kind of about this greater existential dread <laughs> that, that hangs over the entire picture. And by the end of the film, you, uh, I would argue that this is kind of like Intended as an inversion of the six-day creation account in Genesis because this film basically shows the entire world ending in six days But it does so with just such incredible black-and-white cinematography and such Spellbinding patience on the part of Bellatar that I just I just thought it was a really transfixing experience so definitely if you have the time to carve out for the Turin horse I think it's got a lot of rewards for for sticking with it. So uh, that's that's my recommendation for this week. Okay, I've I
0: not seen I've not seen that film, but I was going through the the sight and sound top one hundred list, and I saw I saw nineteen ninety four film. I'm trying to pronounce it right. Uh, Satan Tango. Uh, from 1994 it is seven hours and 19 minutes so of course had to break it up and as you're talking about turn horse and the just just the patience the the patience the photography patience uh i can see i can see images from from the one film of his that i have watched just his his desire to to insert us into the life of a community or a particular person, and and just let us watch, uh, it's really fascinating. I mean, obviously, not everybody's gonna dig his work, but uh, it's a uh, it's really fascinating to, at least for me, to watch one of his movies, and I'll have to check out the Turn Horse when I have an have some extra time on my hands and I'm not tired.
1: I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, I'll you, you carve out time for the Turin Horse. I'll have to carve out time for for Satan Tango. I don't know how to pronounce it either, but that is definitely one that I need to catch up with as well. I'll I'll, I'll offer this uh, for anyone who's on the fence about the Turin Horse. Uh, if you can obtain it, just watch the the opening credit sequence. Uh, it's it's this uh, it's this long shot of uh a a cab driver essentially riding his his horse-drawn cart like the devil through the fog and the camera stays on him the entire time, tracks with him the entire time. Watch that entire sequence. And if by the end of it you don't want to watch anymore, then you know that's totally fine. But if you find yourself really interested in what's going on in that credit sequence, stick with the rest of the film. I, I think that that's kind of a good bellwether for whether you're going to you know click with the rest of the film or not Um, I think it's it's. I don't want to say it's one of the best opening credit sequences I've ever seen but it's really great and it's a good measuring stick for for whether or not you're going to vibe with the rest of the film as strongly as I did
0: yeah that's that's good advice Uh, so my pick today Kevin I'm just I'm going with the pick I'm fairly certain I've given before. We're talking about uh, Coreda and I love his work. I want to point out his 2004 movie, Nobody Knows. This is the story about a a group of young siblings who live in a small uh, apartment in Tokyo. And one day their mom leaves and just doesn't come back and they have to fend for themselves. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is because like we talked about with 9 Days and Afterlife this is one of those movies that is not silent on suffering in the world it's a very hard film to watch because these children are just placed in a terrible situation how could anybody do this and you you see you see you see sin on display that would put these children in this precarious situation. Uh, but then within that, you also see the little joys of life and the relationships that these siblings make with each other and other people around them. And the joy that they find with within that. Uh, not just joy in freedom, but joy in companionship in the bonds that they share. And I I think it's just it's an amazing film. Uh, it's a it's a tearjerker. Uh, it's 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 just so well-made. So uh, check out Nobody Knows from 2004 listeners if you haven't had a chance to do that.
1: Yeah, that was my first Coriata film I ever saw. Oh, wow. And that was what really got me interested in checking down the rest of his work. Because like you said, it's a really good film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. Listeners, thanks again for checking our episode out. You can always support us via our Patreon campaign patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. And you can always talk back to us at pod on Twitter or seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristinPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLennathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been
1: listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.